Hey folks, quick story for you. Have you heard about Imagine Golf? If you haven't, I would encourage you to go into the App Store, search Imagine Golf, and join the over 200,000 golfers around the world who have made this a part of their daily ritual to improve their golf game. A few months ago, I was introduced to a gentleman named Malcolm Scoville. He's the visionary behind the app. Malcolm has worked with other great uh, meditation-based apps like Calm, and he's bringing that expertise into the world of golf, which is something he's very passionate about. Malcolm and I connected. I've loved hearing his story. And the coolest thing to me about this mission that he's on is that he every day wakes up thinking, how can I help change the outcomes for people, both in golf and in their lives, through an improved mental game? It's a really cool app. They do these really fantastic three-minute daily drive lessons that you can just you know listen to when you're either on your way to work or nowadays just maybe taking the dog for a walk who knows or how about when you're out on the putting green or the driving range it's available to you at any time it's uh, free to download seven day no commitment trial uh, you can still listen to it even if you don't do the paid subscription. Although, I would tell you, go in and unlock that door. You will not regret it. Malcolm and his team have done just an excellent job of curating uh, the kinds of things that you need to be hearing to improve your mental game on a daily basis. I do it. I love it. You know me. I like to get into the spiritual side of golf, as does Malcolm, and as do all of those who are contributing to the app. I think you're really going to like it, folks. Go and check out Imagine Golf. And as my friend Malcolm likes to say, keep imagining what's possible. Hey there, friends. Jay Revel here. I have got an extra special episode of Mid-Am Crisis for you to listen to this week. It's probably my all-time favorite interview I've ever conducted. And it's with someone who has had a profound impact uh, on my life and how I see, feel, experience the game of golf. His name is Michael Murphy. He is the author of one of the all-time best-selling books on the game of golf. His book, Golf in the Kingdom, undoubtedly changed my life. And I'm sure many of you who listen to this podcast probably have had a similar experience when reading the book. His tales of chasing uh, the deeper understanding of the game uh, through Scotland are something that I read each and every year, sometimes multiple times. And every time I pick that book up, I learn something new uh, about this game. I learn something new about myself and usually um, discover some new meaning about why it is that I'm so drawn to the game and probably why many of you are as well. Michael is 90 years old. The book has been in publication for uh, nearly 50 years. It has sold over a million copies and has been translated into 19 different languages. Um, Michael is still uh, thinking very much about the game of golf today. Uh, he wrote a sequel to his book, Golf in the Kingdom, called The Kingdom of Shiva's Irons. And that was also a great read. If you haven't picked that one up, I would highly encourage you to do so. And he still he doesn't play anymore. We talk about that in the interview. Uh, but he's still very sharp, and he's still spending his days uh, uh, engaged in the running of his uh, institute in Northern California. 
that focuses on unlocking the human potential. And he's just an incredible conversationalist and someone who I've always admired. And it was just a great pleasure to have the opportunity uh, to spend some time talking with him on the phone about golf and life and how those things are so intertwined and why this game has such special magic. And for those of you who have ever read the book, I think this episode is going to really connect with you. I think it'll probably explain why I think uh, certain ways about the game of golf. Maybe we'll do uh, a little bit of justice to your thinking about the game as well. Uh, And to those of you who have yet to ever read Golf in the Kingdom, I hope this encourages you to go out and buy a copy of the book. It truly, for me, was a a transformative read and something that um, I I think you would, would, would... absolutely enjoy i i just i can't say enough about the book uh it is a work of fiction but uh, i guess you would call it um uh based on certain creative aspects of his own life and uh i think again it's it's one of the most important books in the game of golf and certainly one in my life and again I, i've had this uh recording on the books for a while uh i've listened to it a few times was sort of waiting for the right time to deliver it and at the time of posting, it's uh, PGA Championship week. Uh, the contest is taking place at Kiowa Island on the ocean course, which is somewhere uh, that has meant a lot to me. I actually uh, went there on my honeymoon uh, and returned back a few years later for a, a guy's trip. I get into this into the uh, discussion with Michael. And I, I truly had a an out-of-body type experience there where if, if there's ever been a time in my life where I was in the zone, it was that day on that back nine holes at the ocean course. And Michael and I dove into that um, as well as uh, a lot of other uh, really fascinating points about the game of golf and, and why it matters so much to so many. So without further ado, I'm going to turn this over to my conversation with Michael Murphy, author of Golf in the Kingdom. Michael, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing pretty good today. The sun's out, uh, lights come in here through the redwood trees, and good to talk to you. It's good to talk to you. I have been a, a big fan of yours for, for many years, and uh, I just am delighted to have the opportunity to chat with you for a little bit. I'm, I'm jealous of uh, uh, your life in California. I've had a chance to go out there a few times in my life, and uh, it's just a, a splendid part of the world to be in. Well, yeah, it's, um, I'm not moving. Uh, <laughs> I get, you know, I, I can get upset with things in America, but I'm not moving from California. Yeah, I understand that. Well, there's, yeah, that's kind of the funny thing about our, our country. It's, um, it's got plenty of flaws that, uh, but plenty of people to, uh, to help work on them. Right. Amen. Amen. Indeed. So, Amen. Michael, what do your days look like, um, uh, nowadays? What, what do you, what do you, what are you doing with your, your time? Well, Jay, you know, we had to shut Esalen Institute down. I, you know, um, and I've, you know, given 60 years to this. I, I'm 90 now. I was 30 when we started. Um, it's, um, so it's been shut down for a year. Um, 
and it's cost us a heap of money because our the facility there is a couple of miles long on the coast. Uh, people come from all over the world. Um, so, uh, but it's given us, on the other hand, a tremendous chance to restart um, and give up some of the past activities that are, have not been working and to start anew. So this is a kind of death and rebirth experience we're going through right now. So I, I'm not writing a, a book now. I occasionally write uh, short pieces. And um, in fact, I've uh, re-inhabited the world of a golf in the kingdom uh, and um, written a few things. Uh, you know, I did write a sequel, uh, but the book's been out there now uh, 49 years. It's still selling. It's still getting translated. Uh, uh, it's amazing golf's reach around the world. I mean, it was recently, um, I haven't seen it yet, but translation into Turkish. I had no idea people, enough people played golf in Turkey and, and in Korea and et cetera. So um, I do inhabit that world. It's fun. You know, these characters come alive. Pretty soon you wonder if they, they might actually exist on some other plane, whatever. So I do spend some time, but I don't um, play golf anymore, if um, uh, mainly because of my left knee. I just, too much baseball, too much golf, too much uh, competitive running. So uh, I hate it when I go out with my buddies and they drive me by a hundred yards. It just, I, I'm not, I'm not uh, comfortable with that. I'm not um, a good enough person to endure these being down driven by a hundred yards. So I can swing my five iron, but um, so the game's changed a lot, you know, but in any case, I'm not playing, but, um, um, the game is much with me because of the uh, enduring popularity of that book and, and the sequel. So uh, the um, when I wrote it, uh, I had no idea I would get the response I've gotten and um, the mysteries of the game, uh, the um, mystical and occult experiences that people have seriously been reporting to me now for half a century. If you'd asked me, now I, I knew that was in the game. I mean, it awakened in me as a kid. Uh, there was a lot more to the game than uh, my, you know, the swing coaches were talking about. And uh, the heroes in my day, you know, Ben Hogan and Sam Snead and all, they, um, they didn't talk about this stuff at all, you know. Uh, now, a big percentage of the golf world is open to the inner game, the mental game, and some are wide open to the further mysteries of the game, and the literature is developed around it. So it's come alive, and that has flowed into my uh, main work, which uh, is, of course, not in golf. I mean, I'm not a golf pro, and I'm not uh, a member of the golf establishment. But um, I've had this marvelous window open through that book, and it's astonishing, astonishing what people report. And uh, 
So that goes on whether I will it or not. It just happens. And the, there's, you know, the Shiva Science Society, there's a group and um, um, Alan Shipnuck, I guess, is a friend of yours. Yeah. And uh, uh, Alan wrote a, a, a piece for which I was very grateful in Golf Magazine. Um, um, so anyway, that's a quick summary of um, me in relation to golf and um, and then to my main work uh, with which I'm totally involved, um, you know, understanding more deeply and you, through the Esalen Institute trying to uh, open up windows on a greater human nature that's trying to emerge in us. This is what I believe. And that's why I wrote that book. Um, golf is fabulous on whatever terms you play it, but it's also a tremendous way in uh, to levels of consciousness that many golfers never knew about before they started playing. And then they have experiences um, that are aesthetic, that are um, deeply uh, facilitate, that deeply facilitate fellowship among, uh, um, with fellow golfers, um, and that at times open way out into new horizons of the human spirit. Um, and that's the most um, outlandish claim um, I put forward in the book, but now I'm finding an awful lot of people are into this. I mean, it's amazing. You know, it's, it's funny. I've read the book. I read golf in the kingdom for the first time, probably about four or five years ago. Um, and, and I, I will tell you that that book, your, your, your writing changed my life in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, I, I've always been in love with the game and, um, but I'm not sure if I ever realized that it was just pretty much on the surface level. And when I read your book, it, it opened up something in me that, that, that caused me to go, um, explore levels that I just were never aware were even there. And it awakened something in my soul and changed my entire outlook, not just on golf, but on the game, on the, the game of life. And I, I go back and read it at least once or twice a year. I, I started again just the other night when we were setting up this conversation. And, and every time I do, I find something new in there that, that once again reawakens that in me. It triggers that, that, that and um, it, it's just an incredible work. And I, you know, I, 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 it always makes me wonder, and I'm so thrilled to be able to have this conversation and ask it to you. When did that awakening first happen for you with the game of golf, and 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 what triggered the beginning of this exploration that has you know been a lot of your life? Yeah, well, that's a great question, Jay. Thank you for those remarks. I appreciate it a lot. Um, I um, I did not start playing till I was fourteen, and my younger brother he was two years younger, but he started a year earlier, so he was eleven when he started. I was fourteen. I was in high school, the first freshman in high school. And um, I took to the game right away. I, um, I had a kind of natural feeling for it, um, and I loved it. Um, 
And, you know, those early years, I mean, you get out there on the golf course at 7 o'clock, it's still wet out on the grass, you know, and the silver sheen on the grass. And um, I was lucky growing up in Salinas, California, and it was 20 minutes away from Pebble Beach. And we could play Pebble for five bucks. And these are the world's largest gardens. Uh, never has so much money been spent in creating these, say, 20,000 golf courses now, ranging in size roughly from 100 to maybe some of them, a few of them, 200 acres. Okay. And the thought and the beauty and everything. And if, if, if you get to go out and play Pebble Beach like this and you don't come to appreciate just the sheer beauty of those big rolling breakers in on the cliffs. Have you ever played Pebble? You ever been? I have, yeah. I've, I've been out there a few times. And uh, Well, you know, yeah. you know, Jack Nicholas said, you know, he said, well, where would you, if you had one course, one, two, one round of golf left, what would you do? And he says, well, I would need to. Uh, um, uh, he'd say, I, uh, I want to play my absolutely last holes at, at St. Andrews. But... I had to play Pebble too to know how beautiful it can get. Okay, as a kid then, I had all these marvelous experiences and um, the game came kind of easy to me. I did get down to a, a four handicap by the time I was a senior. So I was good enough to um, hit some shots that defined, you know, when you hit a... Um, Let's say, for me, uh, like hitting a five-par green and going stiff to the pin on your second shot for a, 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 just a tap in eagle, something like that happens, and um, it's incredible. But um, I was also a very religious kid. I was an altar boy um, in the Episcopal Church, and um, I had um, a kind of naive... Uh, teenage sense of things that developed in me later when I went away to Stanford University and walked by mistake into this great professor's class by mistake when I was a sophomore and he was lecturing about the Indian scriptures uh, Atman you know our deepest subjectivity our soul is Brahman which is the omnipresent reality in other words we are secretly one with all things. Um, that kind of philosophy. And it blew me away. It, um, uh, that. And I, uh, my family had wanted me to be a doctor, and that went away then. And um, I had a hard time with my fraternity brothers. I, I quit them. And it was a shock to my family. And so now at that point, I was 18, 19. And um, I went home uh, after that first encounter in the class, after uh, my freshman year in, in Stanford. And my brother saw this change in me, and he, he said, you've become a golfing yogi, haven't you? This is my brother. He was then 17. <laughs> he was, and he was better than me. He, he had gotten his game down to about a two handicap by then. And... Um, he saw something right away because um, I wouldn't have described it that way, 
but he gave me a phrase, but I realized I was starting to practice meditation and golf is a fantastic place to practice this way. Uh, it's one reason that a lot of the top pros have caught on to mindfulness and etc. So, okay, so as time went on um, and I uh, went my outlaw way, I graduated from Stanford, um, I went to India um, and spent a year and a half in the uh, uh, ashram, the, you know, the retreat place of the teacher who had the most influence on me, Sri Aurobindo, an Indian uh, philosopher. He was actually, prior to his uh, awakening to the, the spiritual, the mystical, um, had been a prime leader of the Indian independence movement and had spent time in jail like Gandhi. Um, and uh, he, he was the first massive influence on me to shape my worldview and led me coming back to the US and starting Esalen Institute. Okay. But along the way, I kept playing golf and um, a couple of my buddies who now shared my worldview and this um, early um, outlaw you know, activity because it was um, strange back in the 50s to be doing yoga all the time. Uh, it was a shock to my family. I mean, if I had done anything else, it would have been okay but to be a yogi. And they wondered, are you going to lie down on a bed of nails? I mean, what are you going to do with yourself? Uh, and my father said, um, I hope, son, you're not going to become like Om the Omnipotent. This was a, an American guy who said suddenly he was a Hindu and he lived in Long Island and he kept a, seriously, a hippopotamus in his enormous swimming pool. He was very rich. And my father said, oh my God, you're gonna become like only omnipotent. Anyway, um, um, as time went on, he became our greatest supporter, you know, in helping uh, start this institute. But uh, in any case, um, I have to put it this way, um, looking back now, though I didn't appreciate it then, um, I, I got to watch the Bing Crosby tournament over in Pebble Beach back then. It was, and um, I got to watch Ben Hogan play and watch him practice. So now I was in my, uh, well, I had, uh, I had watched Hogan in my teens, but, um, and so in those days, uh, he would go out to practice on what, in, at Pebble now, it would be alongside the second hole, and he would hit shots by himself, and believe it or not, hundreds of people would gather to watch him in silence, including 20 or 30 of his fellow professionals. They wanted to watch Ben practice. He uh, really advanced the art of practice, and it would be silent. And you could hear the rolling breakers there at Pebble. You could hear them and sit there for an hour, hitting these shots, um, fades, draws, uh, these kind of Texas rising shots. They, they call it aeroplaning. He, you hit them low and they kind of rise up, um, learning to play under the wind. And uh, it produced a kind of enchantment that I think really uh, went unconscious in me. Um, so I didn't turn to writing that book 
uh, until another 20 years. I was pushing 40. I was 39 going on 40 when I sat down to write the book. I had not written any book. My brother was a writer and the family had decided he was going to be the writer and I was going to be the doctor. By now I was just this yogi who um, I, I hadn't worked except menial jobs to keep myself alive. My parents said, hey, son, if you're going to be a yogi, you're going to have to go out there and make some money to support yourself. So I, um, but anyway, the Institute started, it took off and um, I sat down to write the book. I, 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 I tell you, Jay, um, the experience was like I channeled it um, uh, and how I came to that. But I do think there was the influence of Hogan, not as an example of Shiva's irons, but of the trance-like state that some of us, I would say virtually all humans get into it in some way or another. I mean, a lot of people go fishing and they get stoned out there just sitting alone, casting their fly or whatever they're doing. Or um, bowling. I, I don't want to sound too snobbish, but you know it's hard for me to get too excited about bowling. But people get out there and they get into the state bowling. It's a kind of hypnotic induction, and, um, and in all sorts of ways, countless ways. This is what I write about, um, and you know I've written eight books, and the, this is the basic theme that we are wired to move into these states. And golf has a particular genius to do it, um, more th arguably more than any other game. And uh, this, you know, take a lot of conversations. I, uh, but anyway, the, the, all of this was kind of planted in my unconscious. So I, as I started to write, it became more and more real. And then when it was published, um, within, well, before the book actually came out, uh, John Brody, who then was the quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, and I was a great football fan of the 49ers out here, and he approached me and uh, said he was bowled over. He had written it, uh, he had read it in Galley Proofs and wondered if he'd like to do a book with me, uh, the two of us. So that took me to the 49er training camp, and now I'm talking to these giant guys, some of them seemed twice as tall and bigger than me. Um, my tendency was to salute each of them. You know, here I am, a rabid fan, <laughs> and going to the training camp and talking to Brody and to these guys about these being in the zone. That that word uh, hadn't been invented yet, in the zone. So now that, okay, so that's 1972, and door after door after door opened and people telling me experiences. Um, you know, one uh, guy, a, a pro named Benepe, and his son was on the tour, and he was a country club pro, I believe. But in any case, I got a letter from him that summer. Um, as, as the book was coming out, he said, I, was, I read your book, and uh, I went out to play, and I was in a state I hadn't experienced, and I... On the 18th hole, he said, um, uh, which is uphill, 
for the first time in my life, I reached it. It was a five par. I, I, I hit it in two shots. It was a long uphill hole. But the weird thing was that as I was walking up the hill, I felt like I was walking downhill. So he said, um, is that what you mean by true gravity? Well, okay. So to get these stories, <laughs> it's been one of the tremendous delights of having written the book. I mean, and so these experiences come along that I'd never heard of. No one. Uh, suddenly you're walking downhill when you think you're, uh, when you are walking uphill. So these experiences, as they are reported to me, uh, alert me to asking other people, have you ever felt this? So this would be one. I, I, we could talk for hours on this, but... Um, I'm here for it. <laughs> well, anyway, this is this has been the, you know a brief account of uh, how this happened. So I would say it was, uh, you know, Norman Mailer, um, the famous writer, said, um, "God gives every aspiring writer one free one," and uh, that was my free one. That first book. I mean, um, it was hardly edited at all. Um, and uh, it's been the best selling of my books. You know, it's sold over a million copies and it's, you know, been translated into, uh, well, nine languages. And um, it um, has opened these windows, these doors, these vistas, this um, kind of like taking one veil after another off the game. And um, so uh, that's how it happened. So it was pop luck. Michael, I found after I read your book and the sequel, um, I found that um, all of the sudden I, I was uh, attracted to others who had read it and understood it. Oh. And when I found someone, every time, and still to this day, when I find someone who is... Um, uh, an acolyte, if you will, of of Shiva's irons and and the 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 thoughts that are expressed in that book. Um, there's an instant connection. There's a, a and it and it has and it has depth without knowing anything else about them. Um, as you you said a minute ago, you know these these veils pulled off the game. Um, and I thought you know beautifully said earlier that golf lends itself to this you know state of meditation. It it is meditation if you're playing it. Right. right, in my mind. Right. What do you think it is that that triggers that? I, you know, again, I to me, when I when I am out on the golf course, I, I play a lot with my dog. Uh, late afternoons with the sun going down, just the two of us. Oh wow! And it's transcendental. I, I I I'm in a totally different universe, and wow, <laughs> and it, it has such an effect on my soul and my heart and who I am and. What, what what is that? What, how would you define that to someone? Oh, a great question, Jay. I uh, well, you know, um, have you? I I wrote a sequel. Uh, did you uh, read it? The Kingdom of Desires. Okay, um, and um, so I, uh, as they say in philosophy, I unpacked some of the um, answers to the to these questions. It's all fiction, but I have to tell you both those books, the experiences that they describe, the, the, the story, it's fiction, but the uh, worlds of experience are, are nonfiction. 
those experiences are happening to people. So, okay, I, um, there's so many reasons why golf does this. Uh, I mean, first, um, the quietude that it demands uh, of the mind. Um, Kenny Venturi, I don't know if you remember him, for 30 years he was, and I actually played him in the Northern California Junior Championship. Uh, uh, you know, he beat me, but uh, when we were kids, and I don't even play in a few years, but he liked to say, uh, the shot you get is the last thought you had as even as you were swinging. And just as you're about to swing, you remember that lake. And oh boy, and what do you do? You pull away, let's say it's off to your right, and you pull to the left. In other words, that quietude of mind uh, is powerfully correlated with either true emptiness in your mind, a real stillness, or a very clear visualization of the shot you want. I mean, either way, you line up as a deep meditator lines up in, uh, in let's say, at an Indian ashram or in a cathedral, no matter what your religion is, you conform your body and your mind to these greater things, vistas, levels of consciousness, whatever. It's a right alignment. Uh, that alignment, now, the language in, in the religious traditions and the yogic traditions and the shamanic traditions, there are always words for this. Okay, if you're a very religious type, you could be saying, I'm doing the will of God. Or you might say, I am feeling the soul of the world. You, and it's amazing to me how often golfers who have not studied mysticism or Indian philosophy or anything, but they'll come up with their own words. And um, that phrase, in the zone, you know, appeared. There are different theories about where it came from. I think it probably came out of uh, the world of tennis, actually. And it came out in the mid-'70s, and uh, the Gulf of the Kingdom was out there. And so people have taken, uh, some people mistakenly think I invented the, the term in the zone, and I have to say, well, I'm sorry, no, I didn't. And uh, But the point is that being who we are, dependent on language, many of us search for words to describe what's going on. So, okay, so this is where my life work has magically flowed into what I've been given through this book. And, um, of course, I'd been studying all of this for years before I wrote the book. So it was um, mainly conscious, though I did not know that golf had this much power to do this. Okay, so the... Okay, so I start then with the requirement of the game itself. If you want to play a decent game, you have to do certain things that put you in this state. Uh, now, again, concentration. Okay, visualization, if you do that. Quieting the mind. <clears throat> and then um, 
when I teach meditation courses, what I like to say is whatever technique you use to start, and there are hundreds of techniques, at some point you get meditated. You get meditated. You're not meditating. You get meditated. It's like <clears throat> a baby when it's born. Within seconds, certainly minutes, it has to start breathing. And so maybe a doctor will slap it on the behind or whatever, and they you have to cut the. But we know how to breathe. We were born knowing how to breathe. I maintain we know deep down, even though our parents never told us, our priests didn't even tell us maybe, nobody told us, we know how to do this. And golf has this genius for getting us to do it. Um, okay, so okay, then for example, um, um, I think most people uh, who play, every, I, I bet you everyone has an image when they stand up on the first tee of where they want that ball to go. Okay, and uh, even somebody who's never broken a hundred uh, has some feeling for what you have to do to swing to make it go where. You, you want to hit it down the middle or to the left or the right or whatever. So this is a practice of alignment. It's a primitive form of what you do in meditation. But then, uh, as Ben Hogan said, every golfer, every golfer for every round will get five or six shots that any pro will take on the PGA Tour. Of course, if you shoot 120, you get 120 more shots than somebody who's shooting 70. He's shooting a 70, so he, um, but Hogan said, I, I, that's the most I ever get. I get five or six that were perfect. This is Ben Hogan, arguably the greatest shot maker of all. I mean, yeah, I count him and Tiger as the two greatest shot makers. And, um, and um, I, I count Hogan with Tiger and Nicklaus, you could argue are the greatest. I mean, this silly argument is fun. Bobby Jones, you could say, is the greatest amateur player of all time. Whatever, you, we could have those arguments. But in any case, the greatest players, all right, uh, so as the level of your game goes up, uh, I would argue that there are more and more times where that alignment is so beautiful, uh, it contributes to this state. Okay then what do you do most of the time you're out there? You're walking. Okay, if you're out there four hours, you're only spending three minutes swinging. Isn't that amazing? I mean, three or four minutes swinging. Now, some people play, they might take 20 minutes over a putt. Uh, certain people, you know, you know, they sh should take a little shorter time, but they will spend and that time. But in any case, um, uh, so the game induces that. Okay, but in between, you get to walk around these gorgeous gardens. And then it, um, um, you know, there are many kinds of fellowship, uh, the way you play. I mean, not all your playing partners are exactly alike. And so um, I really do believe, Jay, that there's, um, I love the way you put it there, that there's a, 
bond with someone else who knows this. It's a secret brotherhood of sisterhood of of golfers. Um, you know, I took the saying, I was so surprised. I took the saying, at times I think golf is a mystery school for Republicans. I mean, because it, it breaks every stereotype, you know. And here's, you know, uh, the, um, uh, so the quality of fellowship, um, uh, the aesthetics, um, the, um, this simple set of acts. Now, another one, I think, is that um, golf requires a lot of different skills. It challenges us. I mean, I mean to put a ball that big into a hole um, that's a quarter of a mile away is on the face of it absurd. Some people think it's insane. I mean, and you spend hundreds of dollars to torture yourself trying to put this little ball in that hole. So it means you stretch yourself. So you uh, doing this and then you went to swing. And now if you care about any distance on your drive, uh, that's an athletic contortion. I mean, our ancestors, let's say our primitive ancestors, would, uh, couldn't have time to tee up a ball. Let's say if they're being charged by a, a wild line. You don't have time to tee the ball up and take that swing. So it's an unnatural act. Running is a natural thing. Our Paleolithic ancestors can run for their lives and kids want to run. You know, if they have a chance to run, they'll take that over walking any day. You watch a three or four year old, Hey, walking's boring, but running's fun. So th those come natural to us. But but, uh, but teeing up for a driver, I mean, um, I would say uh, swinging at a, at a pitch in baseball is a little more natural because you're just swinging this club, this bat. But golf, you know, I mean, and then all the books to analyze. How can these guys now uh, that hit it 350 on the fly? I mean, that is... A hell of a thing, and um, uh, so that your body, by having to do many things, the great philosopher Spinoza said, "Make the body capable of doing many things, and you will be led to the love of God." And um, uh, a lot of athletes, not just in golf, but elsewhere, um, find themselves in this zone condition, you know. And there's been a whole language arise in this. So it's, an un it's a half-conscious, sometimes unconscious enactment of what these great mystics have learned to do and in the great yoga systems. Uh, uh, and who, who would have thunk, you know, that this game uh, took this evolution? It's amazing. So those are some of the reasons. Uh, uh, but at the end of the day, it's a... Um, there's still mysterious elements. Um, um, we could talk uh, too about um, the um, this idea. It's all over the world about that we have energies beyond our ordinary energy, and in the martial arts, they talk about, uh, from Japan and China, qi or chi or something. So um, you could. Um, uh, I did give a 
speech in Japan. It was an international conference on recreation. So they had me talking about golf. And so I thought I would amuse the audience uh, by saying that golf, gorofu, uh, you know, in Japan, they, they can't say golf, gorofu. And uh, the martial arts or jujitsu, like jujitsu, become a path, judo. Do means a path. So I spoke about gorofu do. None of the Japanese audience smiled or laughed. For some reason, I couldn't get the idea, but all the Americans in the audience were smiling and laughing. I was making, trying to give a humorous speech, but I meant it, that um, we turn uh, golf as a mere game into a practice, whether we know we're doing it or not, because it leads us. So this is the secret of true gravity. This, the gravity is not to the, this is, you know, I use that as in a term, Shiva Sayers, not to the center of the earth, but to the center of the soul. So that's, um, and that's why um, it produces, in some people, it does produce this amazing um, quasi-levitation. It's a little more common than people realize. Uh, it, that happens a lot in basketball. They talk about the play above the basket. You see some of these guys go up and dunk him. And then that is kind of a lore. And it's there in football. It, it, it's in a lot of sports, this elevation or levitation. And it's there in, in, in golf. And every now and then, not everybody has it. But I would say it's this um, um, true gravity. It, it comes to play. Now, those are energies we don't understand yet. Um, they're still outside the purview of mainstream science. But uh, those are in play. And... Um, and I do think that in visualization, you know, when you visualize the shot, there's no doubt about this, that uh, say among writers, when they start writing a book, it happened to me. Pretty soon I thought Shiva Sirens was alive. And there, you know, there are people to this day, I can't talk out of it. They think there is a Shiva Sirens. So uh, I will sometimes be cornered at these meetings where now they've got me in a corner now by seven or eight of these guys said, okay, now get, tell us the real lowdown. Uh, we're here, uh, we love Shiva Sirens. So there was a Shiva Sirens. I said, uh, I, I said, well, I made it up. Then they said, well, who is it based on? And uh, I will say different things and sometimes I'll evoke Hogan, but they, they'll they say, oh, okay. So there was someone. So this, you know, and why? people fall in love with these characters when writing the book um, and this happens to a lot of writers pretty soon the characters are talking to them I mean you actually hearing the voice and you you feel like you're channeling this stuff well that power of imagination um, is present in these great practices around the world and it does bring into play these mysterious energies that are hard to account for simply with muscular exertion or endorphins or neuropeptides <clears throat> or the laws of physics. And uh, then you have this lore out there, Jay, you must hear this. Uh, a guy will tell me, <laughs> uh, I hit a ball that faded and then it hooked. <laughs> I've heard this a lot. I'm, or it hooked and then it faded. And then they say, well, it was, could have been the wind or it was a, the ball was nicked. So it was laws of physics, but I swear to God, 
you hear enough of these stories, it's mind over matter in some ways. That's in play. So oh, yeah. these energies, these energies are in play. But uh, that's part of the marvels of the game. It's it's a big theater of the occult. Stuff happens uh, beyond our ordinary reach, um, either mental or physical. Something beyond takes over, and um, that the the game has a peculiar genius for that. I believe. I'll tell you, I've had um, experiences like that on and off throughout my golfing life. Um, but the most profound one that I ever um, experienced was um, a few years ago. I was on a big guys trip uh, and we were at Kiowa Island playing the ocean course uh, right outside of Charleston, South Carolina. And oh, that's gorgeous. Beautiful place. Just wonderful. And it, I had been there before. And, and I, I think this, I actually think this is, is, there's something to this, but I had been there before on my honeymoon and I played, my wife was kind enough to let me play on my honeymoon at the ocean. <laughs> and, and a couple of years go by and we go back for this big guys trip. And I'm really excited to see it again. I, I fell in love with the golf course the first time. I didn't play that well, but I was taking it all in so fast that it, it was hard to process it. And I had a feeling I'd play better the next go round, but the night before we got into the, the booze a little too heavy. And I woke up with the most awful, one of the most awful hangovers I've ever had in my life. And I was so upset because I said, Oh my gosh, I got to go. I'm going back to this place that I really love. We're teeing off at high noon and I've got a pounding in my head that I, I just cannot shake. And it was so bad. And I, I just kind of, had to give up to the whims of the world, you know, say, well, let's just see what happens. And I remember I bogeyed the first two holes and I said, okay, well, you're alive. You, you're, you're going to make it. <laughs> something, something changed. All of a sudden I started getting up and down from everywhere and I made a string of pars. And by about the time I got to the eighth or ninth hole, uh, the wind at this point was blowing 30 miles an hour. <laughs> I had no, I, I'm watching everyone else just fall apart. And all of a sudden, I was not in my, in my body. It, I, I had a true out of body experience. I ne I'll never forget the shot that took me into it. I hit a six iron on the ninth hole. And it was almost exactly in the spot where I was two years before with the same club in my hand. And I remembered, I remembered being there. And I remembered what it felt like when I hit the good shot two years before. And I took the swing and it never left the flag, hit a big, beautiful cut right into a fade, right into the hole, right near the hole. I knocked it to about eight or nine feet and I could feel it. And it was almost like, oh, I remembered. I remembered when I was there earlier, I said, oh my gosh, this, you, can't, you can't play this golf course. On this golf course, you just have to let the shot happen with the wind. And then all of a sudden I went into this other plane of existence and I played almost completely unconscious for the next nine holes. I made three or four birdies on the back nine. The wind was blow unbelievably blowing. I felt like I was watching myself do it. And it felt more like, you know, when a, when a shot was happening, it felt more like I was painting them. 
than, than swinging a golf. It was almost like if I wanted to take a, a brush stroke, that was what I did. And, and the ball just went and it went exactly where I wanted it to go. And I made every putt I looked at and it was an, a truly remarkable experience. And I didn't come out of it. I remember on the last hole, the 18th hole, I hit this drive again, just beautiful right up the middle. I can still see it carving through the wind. And when I got to my ball in the fairway, I could see people gathered around the green in the clubhouse that happy hour had begun. And that's the first time I had really seen anybody for almost in my head for two hours. And that, it shook me back out of it. All of a sudden I was, I was back. I was on the ground. I could feel my toes again. And I hit that shot poorly, ended up bogey in the last hole. But I walked off the golf course playing the most with unquestionably the greatest round of golf of my life. And, that, and, and, I, and, and every day since has been a quest to try to find that again. Wow. And it was a truly remarkable experience. And so wow. when I read your book, I, it, it just, it's like my um, trying to recount those steps and, and get back to it, you know? Oh God, that's a beautiful story. I mean, that's a hell of an experience. It was I mean, come out of a, a bad hangover, playing in a hard wind and shooting around like that, boy, isn't that something? Um, that's a beautiful experience, wow. Yeah, if the game can, well, that happens. <laughs> I mean, these are, you know, these are touchstones for us. I mean, well, you know, you have an experience like this and you're never gonna be the same again. I, I would argue that every time you have, when you go that beyond, let's say, the ordinary, it registers in your unconscious. You're in, it's, you can't forget it. And, uh, you know, the, and, um, and people ask, well, how do you preserve it? I say, look, uh, if Ben Hogan says every golfer on every round is going to hit five or six shots, no matter how bad your day is, you're going to have something out there. And it'll be something you can take with you uh, after the game's over. That is one of the great mercies of the game because it can torture you. If you play it in the wrong spirit, I mean, it can, um, you know, it can get to you. I mean, it's a, it's a tremendous character builder, I would argue. Um, the game is. It really is a character builder. I mean, just to play it. I mean, some guys have such a terrible temper that they never, the game never enchants them. You know, I in high school, I saw that. They were just impossible. They just, they, you have to control your anger for some, some, men particularly. I, I've, I've never played uh, with women who get as angry as some of my adolescent male friends were. I mean, they, <laughs> but in any case, um, well, that's a beautiful story. Wow. You, know, you use that word enchant, and, and, and that, that really speaks to me too, because I do think there is something about golf that if you're willing to, um, if you can go beyond the obvious, it, it will pull you deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah. And, and, and once you get down to that, whatever you call that enchanting layer of the game, um, I, I just, for me, it's, it, it just has changed everything about how I view, you know, the entire yeah. existence. Well, gee, it's wonderful to talk to you, Jay. Uh, uh, 
I very much appreciate your uh, take on the book and the fact that uh, you resonate that way. I mean, my God, I mean, it's, you know, that's, uh, that's great. Michael, um, let me ask you this. So if, if, um, if you were going to share something with people who had never read Golf in the Kingdom, uh, those who maybe uh, have heard of it and think that's, that's silly voodoo, what, what would you tell them to uh, entice them to turn the first few pages and, and have them take that adventure? Well, um, it's a big risk. You'll have to spend, you'll have to risk 20 minutes to get through three or four pages. So it's a tiny risk. And um, then you can read on and see if it registers, if there's a resonance. Um, and for an awful lot of people now, half a century, uh, certainly a, a, at least a million people, I mean, it's sold more than a million copies, I mean, have um, found it as a kind of a key to a lock that we all have to, or locks, I would say locks, that we encounter in our normal lives, our frustrations, our paths not taken, and whatever. And um, uh, I would say, just try it. That, that's all I can say. I, uh, you know, um, and for a lot of people, it it it, it seems to work. To um, definitely works um, to uh, open a new vista. I mean, that's about all I can say. Um, uh, it doesn't mean you have to play golf. I, I, a lot of people get a lot out of it that don't play golf. So it's had a, a, an audience out beyond just golfers. And uh, <clears throat> it's been adopted by different sports teams. I, it's kind of given me a, an unwarranted status in certain sports circles as a, some sort of guru, which I'm not. But um, uh, the, um, it, it um, so it works in the damnedest places, you know, that's the thing. Even bowling, I mean, I, I guess I had a prejudice against bowling, but um, it's uh, some snobbishness in me. But the guy, guys bowling get into these states, that, that really floored me. But certainly playing golf, and uh, I still think, I, I'm pretty sure I could make a good argument. Golf has maybe the, the most unique magic among sports to induce these states. If I were to add up all the people who have um, approached me and all the different sports people, um, that uh, there would be more out of the world of golf uh, than say out of the world of football. I mean, I'm a football fan and uh, you know, um, it's an amazing game. Um, I think only the Americans could have invented it. It's um, you know, it's it's actually not as good for you as playing soccer. You know, you're going to have more arthritis if you played football all your life than if you just did soccer. So, but nevertheless, football is um, uh, has has it. Golf in the Kingdom has caught on among uh, a number of football players. I have to say this, and. Um, you know, there are particular windows in the game. For example, this thing of hitting a ball a long way, 
or throwing a forward pass that hangs out there while uh, your wide receiver is weaving through and then they, it's completed against all odds and how it's magic. Uh, so that um, we do people, I mean, even people who don't hit the ball very far just are enchanted by watching a big hitter hit the ball. I mean, it, it's always had a kind of legendary power. And as a kid, I remember getting up close in those days, Sam Snead, um, he could fly the ball um, almost 300 yards playing with a persimmon head, a wooden head, and the balls were not nearly as lively. And uh, to watch that ball disappear out there, um, it, it's, it's thrilling. And then you watch Hogan hitting those balls and he'd play a fade or a draw and going right to where it is, it's, uh, it's, it's awesome. And you know, watching him practice um, um, and watching these other pros. And I remember uh, some of them were interviewed. I actually had the nerve to ask them, why are you watching Hogan hit it so much? He said, I pick it up by osmosis. I remember this one guy out there, this is way back, and um, I just pick it up by osmosis. And, um, you know, the, the, okay, you know, we could go on and on talking about all the different keys to this understanding. And others, this idea of transmission. Um, you know, we're all transmitting to one another. I mean, animals do, humans do, um, telepathic. You don't have to speak. Uh, feelings or images are transmitted. There's been a lot of study of this. This is what a lot of the stuff at Esalen that I started into this, studying it. Because, you know, hardline mainstream scientists say you know, it's a, a bunch of baloney. There is no telepathy. Well, there is telepathy. I mean, the lore of it is fantastic. And I would say golf makes us tele te telepathy prone uh, because of this quietude, because you're stretching. And then those shots, hanging out there let's say a drive that'll well the biggest hitters they'll hang there five six seconds hanging out there and it seems longer at times but even if you hit the drive maybe you can only hit it 200 yards still it's hanging out there three or four seconds and uh now this is uh, the more speculative side for me um jay um and this, this is pure speculation but that Part of the stuff that makes up what are said to be auras around people, you know, in the martial arts and in all these lores, that the stuff of the aura, a little teeny bit of it is with that ball. So you see people doing the, you know, the, you know, the postures of putting English on it. You know, you lean to make it fade or one way to make it hook, you know, and we, we do it instinctively. Kids do it. It's part of this larger body we inhabit. Now that's the far out edge of the of this, but I, I believe it's true. Uh, mainstream science has not caught up with this yet uh, in all of our medicine, our physiology, etc. And so we know that, we feel it. So it's a little part of us that's out there. Now it's immediately reconstituted once the shot's over and you're walking along and it's easily renewed because what's interesting is when you're playing good, uh, often you end up with more energy. 
you feel healing on that day of your spent, it certainly cured your hangover. And, uh, <laughs> it so it, so it doesn't drain you. Now a, a game of golf can drain you if you're in a certain attitude and it's, you give way to the frustration, you don't know how to regroup, uh, how to recenter. This is big now in professional sports, how to recenter, say in football between plays, you know, um, and um, this, uh, you reconstitute, you renew, uh, you're born again in a teeny way. These, these are, it's a little bit of death and rebirth that are in a round of golf. I was playing golf with a pal of mine and um, I actually put this incident in the book. Uh, he could hit it about 50 yards further than me. And anyway, we'd, he'd had a couple of bad holes at anyway. So he, um, we stood up on this tee and uh, it had gotten to him and he turned to me and he said, you know, Mike, um, I hope you can hear this, but you know, I do at times have suicidal thoughts. So it kind of, gee, I didn't know what to say. Um, so he stands up to the tee and he hits it 300 yards right down the middle. So we're walking down the center of the ferry. I didn't know how to, whether to console him or what. He hits a wedge shot stiff, three feet from the pin, gets a birdie. So now we're standing on the next tee and he throws his hands back and he said, Mike, I've never been happier in my entire life. <laughs> so <laughs> one tee to the next. And I saw him recently and we joked about it. He remembered the experience and uh, golf can do that. So it, I mean, you must have had playing partners that very emotional. <laughs> so anyway, um, um, that um, death and uh, rebirth, in other words, the capacity to renew yourself. And then in those beautiful um, courses, uh, and, and if there's a lot of good fellowship, it has a supreme magic by bringing these different elements together. You know, in other words, it's a, a giant a bouillabaisse, a giant cocktail. It's a giant mixture of elements, you know, it really is. And, and no two rounds are ever the same. I mean, it, it, there's so many diversity in that game and you, you're going to see shots. I bet you every single round of golf, there's some shots you've never seen. They could be complete luck. I saw a shank, the worst shot in golf probably is a shank. And uh, I saw a guy shank a ball. It hit a tree and it got out to the green. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> what do you do with that one? I mean, you're going to see something like that. Um, and that's part of it. The game is very surprising. Um, it's full of surprises. Um, and it, it, it takes you so far afield and then back and around. Um, so you're not going to get that stretching uh, and that complexity, say, in ping pong. I mean, you know, um, and God bless them, but you're not going get, to get that much in tennis. Tennis is a great game and a great athletes, but, um, uh, or swimming, which um, again, these stupendous athletes, swimming and it has its own genius but golf 
you could argue has the craziest genius of all the games. It takes you to more places. It, it demands uh, these different movements. I mean, and and then, oh God, I could tell you forever about um, the weird experiences people have over putts. Um, I had a guy tell me, he said, um, um, I had a real bad one. I wonder if you could help me understand it. Um, every time I would line up on this bad day, I would look to the hole and I would see this uh, toad <laughs> squatted on the hole. <laughs> so I said, well, what do you make of that? So I, 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 one of my theories about golf, it's also can become a, 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 a sensory deprivation because as you focus, you can get into a tunnel and some pros, you know, they have to learn, they get so far into that, they close everything off. But what happens when you do that, let's say in a flotation tank, and some athletes do this, we have these warriors out here, the San Francisco Warriors, Seth Curry, this great shooter, and he does this flotation tank thing. Well, okay, so you, your unconscious comes up. So this guy had a problem with this loathsome toad. And um, he told me, he said, oh, I knew I needed some psychoanalysis after that round because I couldn't get rid of it. But you, you'd be surprised the um, torments, even over a three-foot putt. I, there's something about those putts that are too much for a tap-in, but they're short. They are maddening for people. Uh, they're, they're the worst testers of all. And particularly if you, you, you're competing or if you have a bet or... I had another guy who told me, he, Every time he'd line up, he would see the face of Richard Nixon there. And so he had to putt right into Richard Nixon's face. And that one, he couldn't figure that one out. So you get these things. So the game is, um, you know, it can be an arena not only of enchantment, but at times as possession by weird shit. I mean, just weird shit. I mean... <laughs> It's true, though. I mean, it absolutely is. Uh, no, it can do that. And then another thing I took out of golf in the kingdom actually was uh, needling. Uh, I had the the art of giving and receiving the needle. So um, this friend of mine, the same one that had this thing where he went from suicidal thought on one tee to the happiest day of his life on the next tee, he was uh, great at needling, and he... Um, so I would get into a kind of playing trance and um, we would compete. And um, for a while I was winning too much money from him. One of our mutual friends said, uh, he, uh, and this guy was, you know, he could hit the ball further than me and uh, we were definitely equal. I was lucky to, but somehow. So anyway, we're walking down the fairway and I was in like this and I was with my, uh, uh, my wife was playing with us. And so he said, he was some ways distance, but he said it loud enough so that I could hear it. Isn't it wonderful, Dulcie? He said uh, uh, that uh, Mike has such a beautiful ministerial air about him, like a priest. Well, it, it, it blew my game out. I, you know, it, it broke all my, <laughs> he was, needing me from a distance and that I was, you know, being ministerial. 
uh, it, it worked. It ruined my game for a couple of holes there. But anyway, <laughs> but that that gets to be a, a challenge. And um, you know, uh, on the circuit um, and the PGA thing, that you know, they they really can't do that. But um, they do it in subtle ways. You know, I'm told. I've heard some great stories on that. Um, so that gets to be an aspect of the game, whether you admire it or deplore it. Nevertheless, it's out there. So it. And of course, that goes along with a lot of bonding. I mean, friendships in golf. Uh, it, 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 it golf is, you know, and when the game was developed by the Scots in the 16th century, um, uh, you know, the king, um, one of the uh, Stuart kings, I mean, the uh, King James the something or other, the fourth, would always play with a commoner. So this was great at St. Andrews. So here's a Here's a, a working guy and playing with the king. And he, he loved doing that. And it became, he, it made him a good king in the eyes of a lot of people. So the same today, you get um, out there. And uh, I think all of us have met some extraordinary characters on golf courses. Oh, and um, I don't think we have time. I could tell you some great stories playing on the Russian golf courses. Oh, I'd love to hear that. With a, with a, a mafia guys. <laughs> Seriously, oh, seriously, and one guy I played with, he had a bodyguard who um, actually pulled a gun on some trespassers on the golf course. He didn't shoot, he just waved a gun at them. And I knew this guy then was a mafia. This was in Moscow years ago after they had opened up, you know, to the West. And um, so you, God knows who you're going to meet out on some of these golfers. Well, listen, I, I, you know, I see that our time is uh, maybe gone beyond. I don't know. It's all right. I've loved every second of it, and and I, I hope we can do it again. Uh, let me let me ask you this, Michael, because you know I think it's relevant to that point about the bonds of friendship in golf. Maybe it's a good place to wrap up. One of my favorite things that you wrote in Golf in the Kingdom is the line, and I, if memory serves me right, I believe it's Shiva says it to, um, uh, to, to the, the character Michael in the book um, about golf being a game for the in-between times and, and how when you think about it, life is mostly the in-between times. Yeah. That, that to me really struck me, and I'll, I'll tell you a, a moment where it really meant a lot to me. Um, last year, I... I um, however you want to phrase it, I, I lost my job and, and went into a whole new venture. And it's, it's turned out to be one of the best things that ever happened to me. But I remember the next morning, I didn't really know what to do. And uh, my dog walked in and kind of nudged me. And I said, okay, well, I know what to do. Let's go to the golf course. And I thought about that line a lot that morning being out for a walk. And I think about it almost every time I go for a walk on the golf course. And especially when I'm with friends, um, you talked about, you know, around golf, you might only swing for three minutes. And I just find that to be the real magic elixir of the game is the fact that you're really only playing for a few minutes, but you spend hours at a time wandering around. And um, your point about golf be having this certain magic, I think it, it, it a lot of times boils down to it's the only game where you have to both simultaneously venture outward and inward and to me that that's the the thing that that 
transfixes me every time I step foot onto a golf course. Um, so I, I don't know if there's a question in there or not, but I want to thank you for writing that line because it's meant a lot to me at different points in my life. And, uh, and I want to thank you for that line, uh, Jay. That's a, a beautiful line. The game takes you both outward and inward. Um, that's, a, that's a great line. Um, I think I'm going to steal it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would be my pleasure to contribute a lot. <laughs> no, that, that's, uh, that's, that's beautifully stated. I, it's, it's true. I mean, that's true. It is an amazing shifting of that long vista. And then the different focusing of from along, let's say you look at the hole, you can, let's say you can see the hole from the tee and let's say it's 400 yards, quarter of a mile. Um, and then you come up and then you are having these three foot putts and then you're totally within at times that, yeah, that's beautifully put actually. Um, that's, that's, that's one of the secrets of the game, uh, right there. Um, and by having to change perspective, uh, but keep your center, it's like our whole life where we're always being challenged to new perspectives, you know, in our work, in our relationships, uh, and yet to, to find a center deeper than all the different shifting perspectives. You know, I think we're, that's part of this nudging. It nudges us deeper uh, just by having to do that. And, uh, I've never heard it said more bluntly than that. That beautiful. It takes you outside and inside, uh, back and forth. Oh, thank you for that. That's a, that's a, that's a nice summary. I appreciate that. That's well, a good line. Well, uh, maybe we can uh, plumb those depths a little bit more uh, on another call uh, before too okay, long. Okay, it's a deal. It's a deal. I would love it's that. A deal. Well, Michael, I can't thank you for your time. This has just been one of the great pleasures of my uh, golf riding life. Uh, well, great to, great to meet you, Jay. I uh, thank you for this talk. I, I enjoyed it. You got it, Michael. Well, I hope we can stay in touch and uh, I'll Absolutely. send you a few things to, to take a gander at, okay? Absolutely. You got to it. be continued. Indeed, indeed. Okay. Well, have a great day, my friend. Same to you. We'll see you soon. Okay. Bye-bye.